As I was thinking about the structure of the book of Exodus, I was noticing how really you could divide Exodus into the two main locations where all the events happen. The first half of the book is focused on events that happen in Egypt. The second half of the book focuses on events that happen at Mount Sinai. You have a few chapters there when they're coming out of Egypt and transitioning to Sinai, but the majority of the book of Exodus is in those two places, in Egypt and at Mount Sinai. And it seems that in both of those places, there is a theological heart, if you will, where the glory of the Lord is most on display. In the first half of the book, I think that is preeminently in the ten plagues on Egypt that climax in the death of the firstborn and then the deliverance of God's people through the Red Sea. That demonstrates the glory of the Lord. In fact, that was the purpose. God said to Moses, I'm going to multiply my signs and my wonders on Pharaoh and on the land of Egypt so that they will know that I'm the Lord. So the glory of the Lord was at the heart of everything that God was doing in those ten signs and delivering God's people from Egypt. I think what we have in the second half of Exodus, in chapter 32 to 34, where we've been for a few weeks now, is the theological heart of the second half of Exodus. Because these few chapters, 32 through 34, is really where we find the only narrative story type writing in the second half of Exodus. Most of the rest of it is uh, law, commands, instructions for the design of the tabernacle and right in the heart of those of the design of the tabernacle and then mirrored on the other side the the construction of the tabernacle right in the middle of that you find the sin of the Israelite people in worshiping the golden calf but I think even more importantly than that you see God's response to it And in response to the sin of the golden calf, we see many of God's attributes on display. We see his holy wrath, his righteous indignation towards sin. But we also see his mercy and his goodness too, don't we? We see his mercy, we see his forgiveness. And probably the the statement that is at the heart of the whole book of Exodus is the declaration that God makes to Moses as he is revealing himself to him on top of the mountain in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, when the Lord passed in front of Moses and the Lord himself proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. That is God's own declaration of who he is. That is his own pronouncement of his name and what his name signifies in terms of his own character and his attributes. And it's that declaration in combination with the Lord passing in front of Moses that explains what we read at the end of the chapter where our focus is tonight. Because that declaration, that announcement of God's grace, of his goodness, and his passing in front of Moses is what explains why Moses' face was radiant when he came down from the mountain. 
And so in verse 29, we read that when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father, our God, we thank you that we can come before you tonight, that we can gather as your people, that we can gather around your word, and we can meditate on its truths. Father, tonight as we think about this event in the life of Moses and uh, and just how he was impacted, transformed by spending time in your presence. Lord, may we see more of who you are. May we see more of your glory. And Lord, may we be used as your instruments to shine the light of your glory into the world. Father, I pray that you would be honored and exalted and help us to understand and apply these truths. In Jesus' name, amen. In the first part of this passage, I think what is becomes clear to us is that the glory of the Lord is revealed in his goodness. The glory of the Lord is revealed in his goodness. And that's why I mentioned verses six and seven at the beginning of the message, because I think verses six and seven, especially in this context, and really you could even argue across the whole context of the scriptures, verses, verses six and seven are the greatest declaration of the goodness of the Lord in all the Bible. It is, it is God's own words of who he is. It is God's own declaration of the fundamental attributes of his character, the attributes of his goodness. He mentions his compassion, his graciousness. He mentions his patience in being slow to anger. He mentions his abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. All of that in harmony with, conformity with, still his attributes of justice and righteousness that still judge the guilty and still deal with sin as a holy God should deal with sin. But yet he is a compassionate and merciful, abounding in love kind of God. And so his goodness is declared. He declares his goodness. And Moses was there on the mountain when the Lord declared that goodness. He heard it with his own ears and with his eyes, he saw some form of the diminished glory of the Lord passing in front of him. Moses had asked to see the glory of the Lord. Moses, in his intercession for the people of Israel and pleading with God that God would go with them and that his presence would accompany them into the land of Canaan, 
After the Lord said, I will go with you and my presence will be with you, Moses went one step further and said, Lord, please show me your glory. But the Lord said, you can't see my face and live. Meaning, I think that you can't see the full manifestation of the glory of the Lord as a finite human being. But the Lord did allow Moses to see a portion of his glory. He said, I'm going to take you, put you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to cover you with my hand and then I will pass in front of you. And then I will pull my hand back and you will see my back as I pass in front of you. So a, a metaphor for maybe a diminished view of God's glory, not the full infinite capacity of the glory of the Lord, but some of that glory revealed to him. Not only in sight though, but also in words. And I think that's important for us to remember is sometimes when we think about this incident, this instance, we only think about the visual. We only think about this this bright light or shining glory passing in front of Moses and, and Moses seeing that and reflecting that back to the people when he comes down from the mountain. But I think there's more to it than that. It's more than just the seeing the light and the glory and reflecting that. It is also hearing the word of the Lord and reflecting that back to the people as well. Because when Moses heard the words of the Lord, he is hearing the Lord's declaration of his own goodness, and that reveals his glory, doesn't it? So God's glory can be revealed visually, in light, but his glory can also be revealed audibly, right? In the words that he gives to his servant to convey to his people. And it's interesting that when you read this account in verses 29 through 35, it's actually the words of the Lord that take preeminence. He says he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. It doesn't specifically say because he had seen the brightness of the Lord. It says because he had spoken with the Lord. Now, did the Lord pass in front of him? The text says it did. So certainly I think that is a part of what is involved with Moses radiating the glory of God. But there's an emphasis in this passage on the word of God, on God declaring his word, and then on Moses declaring that word to the people. And so there is a declaration of the goodness of the Lord, but there's also the goodness of the Lord on display or the application of God's goodness. Because in verse 29, we read that Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands. What's the history of those two stone tablets? It's a kind of a complicated history, isn't it? Because there was a first set of tablets of commands that Moses received back in chapter 20 when he was up on the mountain and the Lord's presence was there and he heard the words for the first time. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You shall not make any graven image or any likeness of anything. The ten words, the ten commandments, these two tablets of stone. God engraved them himself. These are the words of God, not only spoken by God, but even written by God himself. And they are the foundation of the core, as well as symbolic of the whole covenant that God has made with his people. 
But while Moses is up on the mountain receiving instructions about the tabernacle, the place where God will dwell, God says, Moses, you need to go down because your people have become corrupt. They've turned aside already from the way. Moses goes down. He sees what the people are doing. They're partying. They're dancing. They're bowing down and worshiping a golden calf as their God. And what is Moses' response? He is angry like God was angry. And he throws down the tablets of stone and they shatter. And it's a picture of the breaking of the covenant between God and the people. So no more tablets of stone. They're gone. And that's symbolic of the fact that the covenant has been broken. And God says, I'm going to destroy these people. But Moses intercedes, doesn't he? Moses intercedes. He pleads with the Lord. The Lord says, I will not destroy them. But then he says, I'm not going with you. Moses intercedes again. The Lord listens to Moses again. I will go with you. My presence will go with you. And now the Lord says, we saw this last week. In verse number 10, the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. So God says, the covenant was broken, but I'm going to make a new covenant with you. And in verse 34, or in chapter 34, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write them on the... On, on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. And so God is making preparations for the renewal of the covenant. He says, Moses, get two more stones, chisel them out, bring them up with you, because I'm going to write on them again. In verse 10, he says, I'm making a covenant with you. He's renewing the covenant. And now in verse number 29, Moses is coming down from the mountain with the two tablets of stone written again by the hand of God. It is a demonstration of, it is the application of the goodness of the Lord. That reveals his glory, doesn't it? So God's glory is revealed in the declaration of his goodness when God speaks it. But the glory of the Lord is also revealed in the application of the goodness of the Lord when he is willing to forgive and re-enter into a covenant with this sinful people. God's glory is revealed in that goodness. And then secondly, we see in this passage that the glory of the Lord is reflected by the one who communes with him. So the glory of the Lord is revealed in his Primarily in his goodness, in this passage, his goodness declared, his goodness effected, applied. But that glory now is going to be reflected by his servant Moses, who has been communing with him. We see that Moses' radiant face reflects the Lord's glory as manifested in his goodness. This is what I was saying a few moments ago when I mentioned that that this radiant face of Moses, is something is different this time, isn't it? Something is different this time. This isn't the first time that Moses has met with the Lord, is it? This isn't the first time that Moses has been up on top of the mountain to meet with the Lord. He's been up Mount Sinai several times, and he's spoken with the Lord several times. But something is different this time when he comes down from the mountain. What is that difference? The difference is in the glory of the Lord passing in front of him and the declaring of God's goodness of his own name. 
That's what's new. That's what's unique about this instance. And so when Moses comes down, he is reflecting back that glory of the Lord as manifested in his goodness. Dwayne Garrett puts it this way in his commentary. He says, Moses' face was a living representation of the benediction of number 625. May the Lord make his face shine on you and may he be gracious to you. The Lord's shining of his glory is in harmony with the display of his grace to his people. He goes on to say, although the Israelites do not seem to have realized it, they were seeing in Moses' shining face a visible manifestation of the blessings and the kindness of the Lord. So Moses reflecting the glory of the Lord is reflecting the Lord's kindness, his goodness to the people. Moses' radiant face reflects the fact that he has spent much time with the Lord. He spent much time with the Lord. Passage in Exodus reveals that he spent 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain with the Lord. 40 days and 40 nights. Victor Hamilton says, The divine glow develops on Moses' face only after an extended stay in the presence of God. 40 days and nights. Divine glory does not come upon those who treat time with God as a drive-through window, he says. He says Moses stayed. He communed. He dwelt there with God. Another commentator says, one cannot experience the power of the grace of God in one's life without spending a prolonged period of time in God's presence. Moses engaged in a fast of 40 days and in effect remained in prayer, appealing to God and interceding for Israel. In this, he found himself experiencing firsthand the goodness of the Lord. The glow on his face demonstrated the profound presence of God's grace within him. For us, there is no shortcut to God's presence. We must sit and we must dwell. And we must commune with the Lord. Moses' radiant face reflects his spending much time with the Lord. We also, I think, see in this passage that Moses' radiant face is closely associated with the receiving and the proclaiming of the gracious word of the Lord. Moses' radiant face, there's a close association in this passage between Moses' face shining and the ministry of the word. Both in the receiving of the word and in the giving of the word. Now, here's something that we may may not have thought much about. I know that I didn't really think much about it before studying this passage in more detail. But sometimes we think of this passage and we think of this as a one-time event. And that after a while, this radiant face of Moses, it faded away and it no longer affected him that way. That's not the way the passage reads. The way the passage reads, especially in verse 33 through 35, it reads as if this is a repetitive pattern. This is a repetitive pattern. In verse 32, or in verse 31, it says, Moses called to them, and so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. And afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. You see the importance of the ministry of the word? Moses is giving them the word of the Lord, and notice 
while he's giving them the word of the Lord, he has not yet covered his face. Verse 33 says that when Moses finished speaking to them, then he put a veil over his face. In other words, when he was in this ministry, in this role of prophet, proclaiming to the people the words of the Lord, he was radiating, reflecting the glory of the Lord as he proclaimed the Lord's words. Only when that proclamation was finished did he put the veil to cover that radiant face. And then it seems like a repetitive pattern. In verse 34 it says, Whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. So when he's receiving the word, no veil. And the Lord's glory and the, the giving of his word reflects on his face, shines on his face. And then when he comes out and tells the Israelites what the Lord had said, no veil. He's reflecting back the glory of the Lord to the people. Only when he's done speaking to the people, he puts the veil back over his face. And if he went in to speak with the Lord again, he would do the same thing. This is a process. This is, this is a repetitive pattern in Moses' life. And there's nothing in Scripture to suggest that this pattern ever stopped. For the next 40 years in the wilderness, even though nothing is ever said about it again, this is the only place where this is ever spoken of, in, at least in the context of the Old Testament, where Moses' face is shining and he puts a veil over his face to cover that radiance in his normal dealings with people. Never says anything else about it, but also never does it say that it ever stopped. This passage seems to say that it was a repetitive pattern. And that pattern was focused on the receiving and the giving of the word of God. Which is a revelation of the Lord's glory, isn't it? In other words, Moses was a minister of the covenant. He was a minister of the covenant, and in functioning as that minister of the covenant, his face would shine in receiving the word and in giving the word. Dwayne Garrett says, Moses came down the mountain as an emissary of good news. Yahweh had chosen to continue the Sinai covenant and would not abandon Israel. This day was, a, was as great a day as the Passover and the departure from Egypt or as the crossing of the Red Sea. Israel's sin was forgiven. Moses came down as the minister of good news, as the one proclaiming good news to the people. And now, as radiant and as glorious as Moses' face was, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 3 says that it pales in comparison to the ministers of the new covenant who radiate the glory of the Lord by the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. Throughout 2 Corinthians 3, Paul is making comparisons and contrasts. And he's making a comparison and contrast between the old covenant and the new covenant. And Paul says the old covenant was written on stone. But the new covenant is written on hearts with the spirit. The old covenant brought death and condemnation. The new covenant brings life in the spirit. And he says, notice how glorious Moses' face was when he came down with the tablets of stone. 
His face was so glorious that the people could hardly look at him. They were afraid of him, and he covered his face. And the Apostle Paul is making a, a, an argument from the lesser to the greater when he says, if that's how glorious the old covenant was, how much more glorious is the new covenant that brings life and brings the Holy Spirit of God into our lives? And then he says toward the end of the chapter, he says, we are not like Moses in this sense. That when Moses would speak to the people, he would put a veil over his face. Or he would put a veil on his face when he was done speaking with the people. And he would only take that veil off when he went into the presence of the Lord. But Paul is saying, we're not like Moses in that sense, in that now there is no veil. Now we are ministers of a new covenant and we are receiving the glory and the grace of the Lord and we are seeking to cause that glory and grace to shine out into the lives of people. that They may see the gospel and believe and see that glorious Lord. And Paul says, but there's a veil over people's hearts. There's a veil over people's hearts like the Jews. Even now when they hear the, the law of Moses read, he says, there's a veil over their hearts. Only by turning to Christ is that veil taken away. And when they turn to Christ, they see the glory of the Lord because they see in Jesus Christ, the one who became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory. The glory is of the only one of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1 says that Jesus Christ is the one who came down and was light to the world, wasn't he? He was light to the world. And Paul says that we now are ministers of a covenant. Moses was a minister of a covenant. And when he would receive the news and then give the news, his face would shine. Paul is saying we are now ministers of a covenant, but of a new covenant. So therefore, let our faces receive the good news and let our faces reflect back to people the good news of the glory of God. Now, I don't think that's necessarily in a visible way, like it was on Moses. Moses' face shining was actually physically visible. But our shining the light is through our whole lives, isn't it? It's through our whole lives. And so there should be in us, on our face, in our, in our body language, in, in our dealing with the issues of life, there should be in us something different that the world can see and that what they see is the glory of the Lord on display, being reflected. It, it, is, it is the radiance of the glory of the Lord, of His grace, of His mercy, of His long-suffering, of, of His goodness, and we're recipients of that, and then we shine that back to people. Victor Hamilton says this, he says, with conversion comes the glory of God. And where is this glory better revealed than on the faces of those who have experienced and are experiencing such transformative grace? Followers of Jesus are both the light of the world and reflectors of the light of the world, capital L. So we are the light of the world, and we're also reflectors of the capital L, light of the world. 
And he says, the better that we do the second of these, the better we do the first. In other words, the better that we reflect the true light of the world, the better that we are being the light of the world. And so may we be recipients, but not just recipients, but reflectors of the glory and the goodness of the Lord. Praise God for his grace. And may we commune with God. May we dwell in fellowship with him, in worship, in prayer, and in receiving his word so that we may be effective reflectors of that glory and goodness of God. Let's bow in prayer together. Father of grace, we thank you for shining the light of your goodness, your compassion, your love onto us. We're so thankful that today we are uh, the beneficiaries We are the recipients of the new covenant grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been made your people. We have been declared forgiven, declared righteous, even though we don't deserve it. Like the Israelites, we are recipients of undeserved, unmerited favor. Lord, may we rightly and with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength reflect your glory and goodness to the world. And may they see in us the good works that you're performing through us. May they see in us the grace that has been lavished upon us. And may they be drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, in your goodness, in your mercy to them, may you take away the veil from their hearts that they too may see your goodness. Lord, thank you for calling us as your people. Now use us, Father, as your ministers of the new covenant. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.